yes, it was a big weekend in the NFL for outstanding games. But if you're like me, you're probably more focused on college basketball. And I would imagine if you listen to this podcast, you're you're a diehard. You're you're in with us. I did watch football this weekend, Brad. I was a I was a bad college basketball fan. I did miss some games to watch football, but I watched a lot of basketball. I went to two games. Uh, wrote a column off a game I didn't go to, Auburn, Kentucky. Uh, gambled on some games over at the uh, Bovada Sportsbook and had, had a lovely weekend as we get these these beautiful college basketball weekend slaves. We have the SEC Big Ten or Big 12 Challenge, excuse me, uh, coming up this weekend, which is always a great event, always a, a lot of fun. Gives you some a nice kind of break up from the monotony of early conference play. How are we feeling, man? Seven weeks from Selection Sunday? It it is crazy. I mean, it feels like the uh, Corona stuff has started started to le- level off. Yes, sir. Th- doesn't seem like Providence's three games are going to get rescheduled, w- which is funny because if they take care of business and win their home games, there there might be a situation where they win the Big East solely because they didn't have to play those three three games. Well, it's because they're the luckiest team in college basketball. Probably. Yeah, like if they're fourteen and three. And the three games they, they miss, right, at Creighton, at Seton Hall, home UConn, which is probably yep. one and two, you, you, you would think at best. Yep. You know, obviously that's that's a long ways away, and and that's them just, like, winning all these home games. But um, I, I don't think that, 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 that that's actually going to happen. But And then Saturday, here in Providence, we're going to get 12 inches of snow, supposedly. So imagine if this Marquette game gets canceled. Oh, man. Luckiest I'll lose team my in the country, mind. Brad. Luckiest team in the country. You're just luck. It's all luck. Fries are frauds. I'm kidding. That's not luck. I mean... I'm kidding. It's, I, it's hugely lucky. Yes. I would I would much rather have the Georgetown and Butler games get get canceled. We we fell... Well, there's no upside. Right. We we won the Georgetown game by like eight and the Butler game by seven, and we fell 17 spots in T-Rank. We're now 50th T-rank after podcast. two. T-rank. I guess close to the expected wins, but what no. are you gonna do? Hopefully they don't use those metrics. But how was how was your uh, Marquette experience? It's my second game there. Um, I love the arena. It's a great arena. Um. Easy drive up from Chicago, about 80, 90 minutes. My brand new car. Um, arena food, unbelievable. They had a waffle station. They had flank steak, like very good too. Like it wasn't, you know, it wasn't overcooked. It was, it was delicious. Is this for the media or for us? Uh, for the for the media, for the media. Uh-huh. I, I don't know what the uh, what the plebs. Not are. not for us simpletons over here. I don't know. I don't for, know what you guys for the eat. tickets. Yeah. I I I, I believe there's a Chick Fil A in that that arena. Because uh, I went to a Bucks game as a fan, and there was Chick Fil A, but it was Sunday, so I don't know if that's even open. Probably isn't. So, uh, good question. It was a good game. I thought Marquette was really impressive. You know, the way they guard is just you know right there. I saw Xavier this week twice against DePaul and Marquette. I was not overly impressed either time. I just feel like they need more from Scruggs. Uh, still think they're finding like an identity with Nunji and Fremantle. There's a lot of overlap there. Um, Colby Jones is great. Nate Johnson didn't play great either game. So I don't love this. I don't love the Xavier team, um, but I think they're good enough. And, you know, they gave Marquette a good run for you know 35 minutes, and then Marquette pulled away behind a, a really big game from Justin Lewis, one of the best games I've seen him play. It was really impressive. And 
on the road again this week, off to uh, Michigan State versus Illinois uh, tomorrow. A very, very exciting game. Um, Going to go to uh, next week, Purdue and Ohio State, or this weekend, Purdue, Ohio State, and then uh, Duke, Notre Dame. So some some good action I've got on the uh, on the docket coming up. But I also saw the second half of Loyola versus um, Missouri State. So I've been around. I've been I've been getting the games as always. Love to. Love to be on the road. Love to watch college basketball in person. It's just different. The energy is outstanding. And so I've seen some really good ones. So very excited about that. Um, Before we get into some of the important stuff we're getting into from the show uh, from the past week, um, Brad, I just want to discuss that I have a a love-hate relationship now with the uh, Minnesota Golden Gophers. Oh, no. Love-hate relationship. Because, look... I th- I'm 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 willing to say that I was wrong about Ben Johnson. Uh, and and, and it, it it has part to do with the fact that they've obviously won games and look really competent. But I think the other thing is just like when you talk to him, it's obviously like an unbelievable plan and unbelievable vision for this place. And I talked to him today actually, and check out All Access Network with Brian Burton. He's a I mean Ben just like there are guys who get it and he just gets it. But they cost me some money this week. They really did. Because I, I woke up Saturday morning. I saw that Minnesota was going to be out without Eric Curry, uh, James Battle, and EJ Stevens. And I fired up Bovada as quick as I could. As quick as I could. I, I sprinted to that app uh, because I needed, you know, to see what the number was. And it was still two and a half for Rutgers. And I was like, only two and a half point favorite? I hammered that line. I hammered it when I went up to three and a half because I wanted more. I threw a little sprinkle on an alternate line that had them winning by double digits. And Peyton Willis had the audacity, the audacity to score 32 points and ball out. And I give Ben Johnson a ton of credit because they were really ready to play. They had literally four guys who play this year. Like Trayton Thompson was their fifth starter. Trayton Thompson had played less than 40 minutes all season long. He played all 40 minutes in this game. And they just battled and scrapped and Trayton Thompson did a couple threes and Peyton Willis was awesome. And, Luke Lowy made clutch shots, and Minnesota came away with a really nice win. And they had been getting close. Like they would played a lot of close games in the Big Ten, couldn't get over the hump. And for them to do it like that, I, I was impressed. But uh, gotta say the uh, the Bavada account is hurting today. So kudos to you guys. That, that's where I'll open the show, and then we should, uh, should get to the big stuff, Brad, because well, we have a lot of big action. I mean, first on on, on Minnesota. I mean, I I thought they were going to go 0 and 20 in the Big Ten. That they're obviously Already have two wins, but but let's uh, let's not coronate Ben Johnson yet. Great start. Couldn't have asked for a better start, really. Um, but but there's a long way to go. I mean, I think anything that like I, I think they've done every single thing you could have asked them to do this season. Already, right? Like realistically, they've clearly established that. Like Ben Johnson's clearly established that he can put a product on the floor stylistically that gets the most out of a lacking lackluster talent base, right? Like they don't have very good talent. We're open on that. Um, like they play a style that works for them and that's like very well adhered to them. And they did that against Rutgers. They really executed. They've won all their buy games. So that's a huge deal, right? So they've won at Michigan. They've now won a home game in the big 10 play. They won at Mississippi state. They won at Pittsburgh. So they've proven they can win on the road. Like, you know, Again, even, I, I kind of feel like even if they lose out, 
you feel pretty pleased with the progress. Which is pretty notable this year because there are a lot of fan bases that are not pleased whatsoever. I mean, just off the top of my head, we got Louisville fans are freaking out. Butler fans are freaking out. St. John's fans are in meltdown mode. Florida fans are freaking out. Uh, UNC fans are freaking oh, out. Yeah. North I don't know if Washington fans are freaking out, but they should be freaking out. Arizona I State. I don't think I've ever interacted with a Washington basketball fan on Twitter. Isn't uh, Eli Bedger a Washington fan? Well, he's not Washington alum, but I don't think he's a... Isn't that Rocco like Miller one, too? He is. I think they're both, they're both alums, but they're not... I don't think they're you know, devoted to the, the program the way that you're devoted to the Friars. They they wouldn't be banging their uh, empty Mountain Dew bottle against the cup holder every time that there was a turnover against Butler? <laughs> That's a very specific thing, Brad. Anyway. Well, I, there were a lot of turnovers. There were a lot of turnovers. It was a very sloppy game. All right, let's get into the big action of the of the week. We'll get into some of those disgruntled fan base and disgruntled coaching situations potentially later on in the show because there's one, I think, more than anything that's in meltdown mode. That would be Memphis with Penny Hardaway. It has not gotten better. If anything, it's gotten worse. They somehow survived a Tulsa, but it was not pretty. But let's start with the big game of the weekend, which was Auburn and Kentucky. Brad, I assume you watched this game? Absolutely. I mean, this was, this was high level, right? I mean, from the opening tip, you know, you felt like both teams were trying to slow the game down more than you would have anticipated. Um, but I think both teams, I think, understood the intensity of the moment and wanted to settle themselves in. And, you know, the pace picked up in the second half. I think once Auburn realized that they could run with Kentucky and that they'd be able to get out and go, particularly with Ty Ty off the floor and just be more efficient offensively. I mean, it was a really fun ball game. I thought, you know, Obviously, Katie Johnston was a big energizer for them uh, on the offensive end. Walker Kessler played a really nice game and, and did the best he could with Oscar Shibway. Auburn actually out-rebounded Kentucky by one rebound, which is notable, um, particularly considering how good Kentucky has been all season on the glass. But I felt like for Auburn, a lot of the guys who didn't put up huge numbers played important roles in this win. Like, I thought... Like, I thought Alan Flanagan played a really good ball game. I thought uh, Zeb Jasper gave them, like, really solid minutes. Like, his energy at the point of attack and defense was really solid. I thought Jalen Williams gave him a really nice lift with his energy at the rim. Right? I mean, I didn't think Cardwell played great, but I think that was just kind of a reality of, you know, the matchup. But, you know, I, I was very impressed by Auburn's role players. And then in the second half when it mattered, Kessler and Jabari Smith, they're two stars made huge plays when it mattered. Yeah, Kessler was super active around the ring. He was getting a ton of dunks. They had that one where Jabari Smith drew the two defenders, and he probably could have gone up with, like, a relatively easy scoop, and he dishes it off down down to Kessler for the dunk. I thought Auburn's guards, the way that they just are constantly in, in attack mode, I thought was huge in this game. Jasper Green and Johnson, I mean, they're, they're flying to the rim. Johnson's doing jab step threes. And then, you know, when when you have an elite rim protector like Kessler, uh, who's showing more offense each and each game each each game it seems like, and then Jabari Smith hit some crazy shots. Not not crazy in terms of uh shot selection, but you know, just tough, contested 
jumpers. And uh, the pieces of this team really fit extremely well. And then for for Kentucky, I mean, kudos to them for sticking in there without Ty Ty. I mean, in these big games, they got to find a way to stay healthy. I mean, kind of running out of uh, running out of patience, giving them excuses for losing key guys in the middle of big games. But you know, Grady's playing better. Grady's really looking to shoot. Um, a lot of qu- quick release threes. Shebway, you know. Did, didn't have a great game, but but uh, showed showed a little more with his back to the basket inside, and I know that Wheeler and, and uh, Washington certainly had their moments too. So think think for how how well Auburn played and how much they outplayed Kentucky. I think got to give credit for Kentucky sticking in there down Washington. Yeah, I mean there was obviously the discourse of like would Kentucky have won this game if Ty Ty had stayed healthy. I still think Auburn was going to win that game, but you know they were definitely. They 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 won the first ten minutes and then when Ty Ty went down it you know it was it was obviously more challenging and then obviously the game really ended when Severe Wheeler got banged up even though he was able to return you know it just like it it did not feel like Kentucky like it felt like those four minutes where or whatever it was when Severe was on the bench was when Auburn really staked its claim in the game and, and took over. I think the thing for me with with Kentucky is you saw the limitations of them without Washington because Sheepway is not a very good back to basket scorer, right? Like, and again, he was he dealing a with the moves. best, right? But like, you can tell he's not super comfortable. Yeah, that's not his game, right? Like he, like like when he's taking these hook shots, you're like, no, 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 like this is not, like he's turnovers, it just doesn't look comfortable. And Again, he goes for 16, 14, and four blocks. Like he, he's a good player, obviously. But like, I think it was very obvious that like they can't run their offense through him. And quite frankly, when they don't have Ty Ty Washington, they don't have a way to create offense other than Sevier Wheeler just finding a way into the lane and distributing. Right, because Kellen Grady's not overly explosive off the bounce. You can run some stuff off ball for him. Keon Brooks remains disappointing for me. Like he just doesn't do it. Uh, Davion Mintz is a glue guy. We saw that at Creighton. I think he settled in nicely to that type of role at Kentucky this year, and it's why Kentucky is good. But when you ask him to create, it doesn't look good. He was a leading scorer last year. <laughs> think about that for a minute. I think we mentioned on a previous podcast, like that was a yeah. a great uh, trivia question for, you know, like who, who was the leading scorer for Kentucky basketball in 2020 21? a Davion Mintz, especially if like BJ Boston becomes a good NBA player, it's gonna be hilarious. Um, and even like Toppin, like his energy was a, good. Got an NBA COVID contract. I know, crazy. But like Jacob yeah. Toppin's energy was good, but he was a little too wild for my taste in this game. Like their depth is not where it, I think a lot of people thought I thought thought it would be, and it's because they get nothing from Don from from Bryce Hopkins, nothing from Damian Collins, very little from Lance Ware. Like they pretty much have seven. Yeah, Hopkins was out of it when uh, he went in there. I think the big surprise, based on the on the preseason, is that that Collins isn't giving them anything. You know, he was someone who was, was supposed to be, you know, supposed to be raw. Um, but you look at Isaiah Jackson last year was able to make an impact, uh, albeit on a much worse team. Uh, but but Collins hasn't gotten going. And then you know even the Ware Toppin and Mintz trio, which is playing, I think, all their bench minutes. Very, very situational guys. Like, like you said, Mintz is giving them 
good stuff as the seventh man, as the third guard. Toppin's been been a solid sixth man with the energy and the athleticism, uh, but it's it's very situational. And you know maybe this is where missing C.J. Frederick comes in, uh, right. and then because he's another he guy who would just give you minutes, right? Like he would just eat. Yeah. Minutes. We know he can up. play at least 20 minutes on a good team, even with his defensive limitations, right. um, and, and add that shooting. And then we'll see if Shaden Sharp can actually get in. Supposedly, you know, the reports are he hasn't been practicing, like like just workouts, but it seems like they're ramping him up to try to get him in there. I have no sense of what's going to happen with Shaden. Shaden would make, the diff- make a difference, obviously. I mean, I, I don't think it's as good as... Jeff Goodman's like Zion things like I think that's ridiculous but you know he wouldn't hurt them um I think the thing for me with with this game one of the things that stood out was like Auburn felt clearly more talented I don't know if you felt that but like it was just Uh, like and it wasn't just Jabari right like even take Jabari out of it like Auburn was athletic and skilled and like had multiple guys who off the bounce like they're more explosive than Kentucky and I think that's a statement is obviously a credit to what Bruce Pearl has built. And I wrote about it for SI about, you know, how the SEC's continued emergence as a basketball conference and what yes, what, what sat, Saturday's game meant for Auburn and what it meant for the SEC and what, what statement it made. Um, you know, I, I, I just, I think every time I watch Kentucky in big games, I'm a little bit underwhelmed by their talent level, which is kind of weird when you say they have a potential first team All-American Achibwe, they have a potential you know, lottery pick and tie tie. Like it just doesn't feel like they're overly talented, but I think they can be really good still. Like I'm still a believer that them at their best and then them at their healthiest is a dangerous team, a team that can go to a final four. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they manage this test on Saturday against Kansas. Hopefully tie tie can play, uh, but that one should be a really good one at Allen Fieldhouse. I uh, read your sec slash Auburn article, uh, I only have one free one left, so you better make the next one count. Oh, baby. The next article count. But. You can subscribe to Sports Illustrated, which I encourage everyone listening to do. Yeah. But, are you yeah, read it, Vlad? Greg Sankey, the commissioner of the SEC, read it and tweeted it out. That was very exciting. But but from a macro perspective with the SEC, right? I yes. mean, I, I, I was kind of thinking in the preseason that they were going to be the best conference. It's clearly been, been the Big 12 so far. Yes. Um, now, we have Auburn is... You know, at, at at worst a top five team. Even Jesse Newell can now agree that they're a top five team, which is funny. Parrish subtweeted him on national TV on the broadcast. That was so funny. That was uh, absurd. <laughs> and then and then Bill Bill Raftery took a shot at him toward the end, where it's like somebody had this team ninth. Like <laughs> that that was hilarious. Um. So so we have Auburn, who who worst is a top five team. I think. Kentucky's definitely like a top 10 to 12 team. Yep. Now, LSU, people are jumping off the, off the bandwagon, but Days and Pinson both been out. And, and, I mean, those are their two best players. You know, this isn't a Seton Hall situation where they're losing fourth and sixth, right? This is one and two. Yeah, so, it's completely so wild how LSU has flipped entirely. Like, their whole – they've been like a top five offense and like hundreds – in the hundreds in defense every year of Will Wade. And this year they're in the hundreds on offense number one in defense. You know, instead of playing like Trenton Watford at, at the five, um, or, or I think the year before they played him at the three, uh, they got a big, a, a real center in there in Efton Reed, and they have Tari Eason, who is super versatile, super disruptive, and is going to be like a 
late first, early second round pick in the NBA draft, it seems like. Um, so I'm, I'm still buying LSU as like a top 15 team. Um, but then like Tennessee, their defense is really good. I, I'm, I'm not quite sold on them even as like a top, top 25 team. I think they're more like a top 30 team. Uh, we'll see if Arkansas can get going. They're starting to tick in the right direction. Um, beat Texas A&M in, in, in overtime at home. Florida's missing guys, but they just lost to Ole Miss. They're, they're not looking great. Uh, they were ranked by Jesse Newell, though, which so a lot of Providence fans are very upset about that Florida was ranked and Providence wasn't. Um, and the, the bottom of the league isn't very strong. Um, Mississippi State's right on the bubble. They're kind of battling injuries, but I'm not su- super believing like Texas A&M or uh, any of the other bottom teams like your Ole Miss, South Carolina to like jump in it. And then the two teams at the bottom, very bad, Georgia and uh, Mizzou. Although Missouri almost beat Alabama, who I think. And beat Alabama once before. Right. They uh, beat him the first time and then they had him on, had him on, on the ropes early on Saturday. Um, Mizzou has at, their number. As, as to where I feel about Alabama, I mean. They certainly have, like, top 15 talent, but they just do so much stupid stuff. I mean, they have so many ridiculous losses. It's, it, it's tough for me to do sit here have, and say that they're a top 25 team. Do, do they actually have so many ridiculous losses now that Davidson's in the top 25 and is undefeated in the A-10? Davidson's not a top 25 team. I mean, okay, I, on, I, Even if they're not a top 25 team, though, like, are they top 50? Yes. Uh, Every metric would say they are. They are. And Iona's not a bad loss, but they lost a. It's not. It's not a great loss, but they lost to Rick Pitino, with two high major starters in the backcourt, and Nelly Joseph. Like, I, I'm not. American I'm not saying, starts. Okay, fine. <laughs> I'm. I'm not saying that they're good. I'm not excusing the loss, but like I, I think when those in particularly when the Davidson loss happens, like oh man, another questionable loss. Like Davidson's really freaking good. Anyway, I have one I have one final take on the SEC in Auburn before we move on. Think about the fact that in a non in a, in a slightly different universe, Auburn would be suspended for the postseason again this year. You mean if they didn't take the ban last year? Well, certainly if they didn't take the ban, but there was discussion when those penalties came out in early early to mid December. That I think it was December 10th that the, the penalty came out because it's the day that Loyola was playing Vanderbilt. That they were going to get one more year. Can you imagine the out, outrage right now if Auburn had the number one team in the country and couldn't play in the NCAA tournament? Talk about all-time asterisk. I mean, why would the NCAA ever do that? Oh, but if they had locked it in December, they can't then say, oh, no, no we're not going to do it. Right. I mean, it would have been, and they banned Louisville the year that they had Damian Lee and right. and but that wasn't Trey a Lewis. Great that was a good team. But that wasn't a great team. That wasn't a top five team. No, you know, that was a good team. That would have been Astor City. Uh, I know. I got earlier. I was doing a an article for SI about you know gambling picks for the national title futures, and I took uh, SI Sportsbook. They had Auburn at twenty to one. I know uh, now since the Kentucky game. Uh, Bovada has it at 12 to 1, which is still like is decent odds for Auburn. A top five team, like I think that's I think that's a reasonable number for for this group. Like I really I think they can win a title. Um, 
the best team in the SEC, like, very impressive. Speaking of a another top five team that I think I definitely take Auburn over in terms of national title, in terms of if they're playing tomorrow, uh, yeah. Purdue. Did uh, you happen to catch their loss against Indiana? I did. I caught the second half. I didn't catch any, so any any takes you have are are welcomed. I mean, like I didn't think Purdue played poorly in this game. I will say that. Um, I think the one thing that is particularly noteworthy is they gave up, I think, 38 combined points to Xavier Johnson and Rob Finnessy. Right? Like, you told me that Trace Jackson Davis would be as big of a non-factor as he was in a game as important as that is against a team that's as good in the front court as Purdue is. You, I would have said there was no chance in the end of that game. Trace Jackson Davis had four points and played 11 minutes. Who would have ever thought that they would win that game? You know, and, and at some point, right, like, does the fact that you gave up 38 points to Xavier Johnson and, and Rob Finnessy indicate that those guys had an out-of-body experience? Or does it indicate that Purdue's defense is a real problem? Purdue's defense is a real problem. You right. remember the preseason when Purdue lost to Providence in the secret scrimmage, and I said yeah. – how did Jared Bynum score 20 points? Like, I mean, think like think about it this way. I, I tweeted this earlier today. The number one t, like T-Rank lets you compare pro team profiles. The number one comparison on T-Rank of this year's Purdue team is last year's Iowa team. And how much time did we spend, not us in particular, but the general national college basketball media? Oh, well. Iowa can't can't win a championship. Iowa can't make a deep run. Their defense stinks. Iowa's defense stinks, right? Like, when was the last time you heard that about Purdue? I mean, you hear, oh, their defense is not good, isn't good enough, like whatever. But it's far less fatalistic. And at some point, like they don't guard, and they did a better job against Northwestern. They held them to sixty points, but. I have some like really major concerns about like Purdue's upside. I think they're a really good basketball team. Right, I think they're they're explosive on offense. They're unguardable in the paint. They have great shooting. Ivy's explosive, but you know there feels like a real ceiling coming up. And the fact that they gave up 38 points combined to Rob Finnessy and, and Xavier Johnson, and again, all the credit to Indiana. The energy was huge. That building was incredible. All the credit that can't happen. Like that, just can't, you can't give up. 38 points to Xavier Johnson and Rob Finnessy. And eight points to Trey Galloway. Like, like they got four combined points from Miller Cop and Trace Jackson Davis. That is insane to think about. And then I'm I'm guessing that you watched the Indiana Michigan game on Sunday? I did not because I was at Marquette. Oh, that's right. But I was unable to watch Ugly. that one as well. Uh, but Indiana gave up all their Positive momentum. I mean, not a bad loss. Certainly by the metrics, where Michigan is still like a, a metrics darling. Uh, but got to knock knock some of the wind out of your sails. You know, maybe you'd be ranked if you won that game today. But uh, that, that felt like a same old Indiana loss, right? You know, like you have the opportunity to prove you're different when you play a game like that, right? Like winning that 
it, it was huge, obviously, that Indiana had to get over the hump. They had to prove that they could win the big one, right? Against Purdue, they didn't do it at all under Archie. Um, they had to win that game, and they did. But the way you respond to that says as much about your your team as anything else. And they responded awful. They couldn't guard. And again, Michigan hit shots. That's huge. But like, and maybe Michigan had some life. You know, they blew out Maryland. But like, this was the same old, same old problems for for Indiana. Not a great shooting performance. Struggles in the half court. Not guard. Like Indiana has to be elite on defense because their offense is not going to be consistent enough to be to be good. And you know, they they didn't get any. They they couldn't guard in this game. And that's that's a significant concern point for, for IU going forward. See, how about another game from Saturday that I watched? Uh, watched the first half and then gave up. was UNC and Wake Forest. Now, UNC fans are very upset. Their team is playing any defense. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned this multiple times in the preseason. I had them sixth. I did not expect their, them to be a bad defensive team at all. I mean, when you have, you know, in, in in their ideal lineup, right, you have the two bigs with, with Garcia and, and Baycott, and now Garcia's like the one guy, him and, and Walton are probably the two that haven't lived up to offensive expectation. Um, Manic, no one thinks he's, no one ever thought he was going to be a positive defensive player. But then the, you have, the brick from French Lick? Yeah. <laughs> but then you have Leaky Black, who's a, a good athlete on the wing. Caleb Love's a good athlete. Davis is, you know, this on paper this should be a good defensive team, but they're not. The pieces don't fit like they looked like they would in the preseason. And UNC is very much on the bubble. They're playing Virginia Tech right now. I'm not sure how the second half is going. Um, is that game not over? So did eight. Oh. Let's see. Thirty. This... Uh, it's a uh, fifty-two forty-six. So we'll, we'll we'll know the score by the end of the, end of the podcast. Um, yeah, they they're very much on the bubble. I mean, I won't have them in in my bracketology tomorrow. They're gonna get a cheap Q1 if they beat Virginia Tech today, but like, I won't have them in. That, that's, I, I will say it's crazy how 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 the metrics love Tech so much. I mean, it's unreal. Team has no talent. Um, um, I will say this. I've seen a lot of the this be you know Hubert like a lot of Hubert hate for their defense struggles. And I, I look I. I think Hubert is the head coach. It's on him. They have to find a way to get through these guys. They have to find a way to get and, – and, and quite frankly, if Hubert can't get through these guys to get them to work on the defensive end, he's got to go you know, recruit some dudes who will. That being said, Roy Williams retired because he said he couldn't do it anymore. And when he said he couldn't do it anymore, he meant he couldn't get through to these guys and live, and, and live to the standard that, that they set in North Carolina. Right? Like, at some point, maybe the players are the problem. Like, at some point, maybe Caleb Love and RJ Davis and Armando Baycott and Leaky Black are the problem. And it's not Hubert Davis, it's not Roy Williams. Like, would this team be better with Roy Williams coaching it? I think so. Would they be a top 25 team? I don't think so. Because I don't think Roy Williams would be able to snap his fingers and make RJ Davis want to defend people. Like, I went to them, watched them play at Notre Dame. And it's so like the, every single thing you do wrong, you can do wrong on defense. They do wrong. They're, 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 their switches are lazy. Uh, they don't contain the ball. Um, 
they have coverage blows all the time. Um, they do a really poor job of um, they, they like the only thing they do well is defensive rebound. Like every single other thing you can imagine on defense, like they're not, they don't force turnovers. They're not aggressive on the ball. They're not physical. They're not, you know, like they, they don't do anything well on defense. And like at some point, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that's Hubert's fault. Like I think he owns the, he owns it because he's a head coach, but like, I think at some point it's like, you can only tell them so many times, like you have to rotate. You can only tell somebody so many times you have to, you know, be physical at the point of attack. You have to not give up, you know, you have to not switch lazy, right? Like at some point they have to take it on themselves. And if they don't, and they may not, you have to go get another player. And we'll see if you can do that. Because again, at a place in North Carolina, you can get talent. And then on on the other hand, Wake Forest is looking looking for real. At least like an eight or a nine seed, right? Um, Laredavia is very, very good. Alondis Williams has got to be one of the biggest surprises of all the transfers. Uh, go, going from the glue guy at Oklahoma to like a legit star at, at Wake Forest, having the ball on his hand a ton. You know, he's, I guess it's debatable whether he's the point guard or not. Um, but I, I made a list earlier today, which I forgot at work. Um, of all all the transfer point guards this year and kind of broke them down by disappointing, surprisingly good, and then a group that I was going to ask you about because I didn't have to take, but that's it. That's uh, for, for next week, I guess. Uh, but, you know, Williams has has been awesome. And, you know, you were at the Marquette game where they got two guards like that with Marcel and, and, and Kolek, who both just kind of out of nowhere – Put the ball in their hands and they're and they're looking great. Absolutely. I mean, I I, I will say on Wake Forest, like, what an unbelievable job of building a team. Yeah. Because you have like like think about how how this all fits together. You have two playmate. You you brought in two playmakers, in Laravia and Williams. Williams obviously the point guard, but Laravia Laravia had nine assists in the game earlier this week against Georgia Tech. Um. Like he's been a legitimately like a legit creator uh, and a good defender. You have the big, you know, the big wing and Musius who can make shots. Davian and Williamson can make shots. Like you surround playmaker, like two playmakers with your shooters you already had, and then a seven footer in Dallas Walton who and, and two seven footers in Dallas Walton and Kadeem Sai, who can both hit threes, both be active around the rim, and both protect the rim on defense. Like like it's perfect. It, it, it really all all developed from Alondas Williams being the best player. And then Laravia is like an a, a NBA prospect now, too, I guess. Um, so they are they are cer- certainly rolling. I mean, I, I might even go as far as saying Wake Forest might be the second best team in the ACC. Um, and, you know, a, another team that I watched a couple times in the past week was Florida State, where they beat Duke, uh, clutch basket by a Raekwon Evans to send it overtime, and then they f- finish the deal. They're 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 starting to uh, come together, and then they beat Miami after almost melting an enormous lead on Saturday. Um, but a couple of teams are starting to 
gain some uh, separation in the ACC, and you know, the ACC might, might back their way into five bids at this point. Kind of a crazy reversal oh. portion. Yeah, six straight for Florida State. They're working their way. If I if I were a betting man, I would say they find their way in. Like if you look at like if you look at Florida State's upcoming schedule, they have Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, Clemson, Wake Forest, Pitt in their next five. They could go four and one in that stretch and be ten and three in the ACC. You're gonna go dance if you go ten start ten and three in the ACC. So I think they're gonna find a way. Obviously Duke. Obviously, uh, yeah, we mentioned Wake Forest is probably a tournament team. Miami, probably still a tournament team. You know, I, I don't think I've seen anything like maybe blowing out North Carolina doesn't mean quite as much. But like, like you figure those four and then Notre Dame or North Carolina gets the fifth. The good thing is there has been we're starting to see some, you know, filtering out. Right. Where Louisville is obviously not making a push at this point. Chris Mack looks dead as a doornail. Uh, Clemson's not making a push. Syracuse is not making a push. NC State's not making a push. Virginia Tech's not making a push. Like Virginia's not making a push. Virginia's making a push to the NIT. I mean, have have you ever seen a top 50 recruit play with less confidence than than Reese Beekman? He doesn't even want to look at the basket. And that guy has unbelievable job security. There is literally no one that they can put in to replace him. And he still won't I mean, look at the basket. Oh, oh, I, I thought you were talking about Tony Bennett. I was like, are you suggesting? No, no, no. Tony Bennett? Bennett? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> you're just saying he's involved with job security because his backup is Cody Statman? Reese Beekman has more job security than uh, Tony Bennett at this point. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the ACC is starting to kind of solidify who who's good and who's not. And that's good for the league, without a doubt. Obviously, we've, we've mentioned the questions of some coaching carousel things, right? Louisville will open, we would think. Pitt, I think Capel probably is fine for another. Why not? <laughs> Seems like they've they've shown some promise lately. I guess um, the thing with the transfer portal, too, is it like cuts both ways, where you can fire your coach and the new guy can build it quickly, or you can try to sell that the current coach can just go to the portal and get better players. Yep. Which there are not infinite supply of good players and like everyone needs the portal. Um, so it's going to be like, like, like Wake Forest found like their guys who fit Providence found their guys who fit Marquette got four starters in the portal pretty much out of nowhere. You know, like no one was really beating down the door for Kirkweth and how did I know you were going to say Kirkweth there? And Olivier Maxence Prosper. I mean, heck Tyler Kolick and Kolick. Yeah. He wasn't like he was he wasn't like super recruited like he was recruited but he wasn't like you know the big boys weren't involved with Tyler Kolick. Um, who who knew that that he was such a pick and roll maestro? I mean maybe I should have watched like George Steve Mason Nash. But I mean he, he wasn't is, at George Mason though he was playing off the ball. Whenever he's in a pick and roll, I just feel like there's gonna be a bucket. And then if only he like, could shoot like if only he was making shots. Yeah, he, he's not a good shooter. The the shot but looks he, ridiculous. He is a good shooter. Like, puts like, it on like, his shoulder. His whole billing it. was that he could shoot. Yeah, yeah. He, he his shot shoot. does not look good. But um, every time he's in pick and roll, even even if there's nothing there and he gives it up and gets back, I'm like, all right, here we go again. Another pick and roll for Cole. Uh, but but just kind of back on the whole ACC thing. Think about how enormous it was 
that Florida State hung on in overtime against BU, mm. and Miami hung on and beat Florida Atlantic by two. Mm. You know, like if they lose both those games, which which could have gone either way, then you know maybe this is a whole whole different conversation. Yep. I mean, look, you know, I, 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 was having, I was having that conversation with Missouri State. Their resume looks way different right now if they didn't lose their season opener to Southeast Missouri State. Because they're top 50 in Ken Palm now. They just won at Loyal Chicago. They have no bad losses except that one. Like you have been playing with fire for, for weeks now. Yeah, I mean, not surprisingly. It's just, I mean, it's the Valley. Like, the Valley is the best scouted league in college basketball. What does that even mean? It means that coaches always are. Like, games are closer than they should be on paper because teams scout each other very well. Game plans are good. Teams Pretty are great to, coaching or poor coaching, right? I don't know what it is, but all <laughs> I know is that every year in the Valley, like, well, well, I was actually having a conversation with Sean Paul today um, on the Field of 68 mid-major show. Sean Paul's um, dead to me. I see an anti-Providence guy. Yeah. But, like, like Lola Chicago last year, Sweet 16 team. They played Southern Illinois to eight and seven points. They played Valpo to two points. Uh, they played Evansville to 11 points. They played Bradley to seven points. They played Indiana State to 10 points once and lost the other game. Like Loyal Chicago did not blow anyone out last year. Well, they blew some people up. Like, they, like it was not like a we just roll through the valley. You can look back to the Final Four year, thirty-two and six. Their final five games of February: four-point win over Indiana State, nine-point win over Valpo, ten-point win over Evansville, seven-point win over Illinois State, four-point win over Northern Iowa, who's the eighth seed. Like that's the valley. You're going to play close game. Now, Loyola needs to be better, 100%. They to guard the ball. They didn't guard the ball against Missouri State. They have to come out with energy early in games. They haven't done that every game. But, like, I've seen a lot of this, like, oh, yeah, you know, like, Loyola's, you know, Loyola, Loyola, Loyola sucks when it's playing fire. Like, no, like, Iona's playing with fire. <laughs> like, Iona's the team that should be, like, blowing the, you know, blowing the doors off people. Murray State's playing with fire. They just... Played UT Martin to six points. Like, like this is normal in the valley. This is this is life in the Missouri Valley. But anyway, speaking about life, crazy life in, in a conference. Wanted to switch gears a little bit to the Big Twelve, where me. I've been beating down the door of guys. TCU's not going to win enough. You know, blah blah blah. They 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 go out and they win at Iowa State. Um, Those are huge. By 15 points. The the only the, the, the way that you get yourself the NCAA tournament in the Big 12 is you went on the road. If you steal a couple games on the road, you're because it's so hard to win. Like it, like everyone protects their home court. So anytime you can get like a break of serve, if you will, gigantic. I, I like this TCU team. I have, I have since the preseason. They're extremely kind of physical and tough, and you see it with their rebounding. They're second in the country in offensive rebounding rate, but they're also a really good defensive rebounding team. Um, you know, they're 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 tough defensively. 
Obviously, Mike Miles is very good, but Damian Baugh has finally kind of put it together. He had 23 points, seven rebounds, five assists, and seven steals in that win at Iowa State. I think I'm, I'm, I'm like buying them as a tournament caliber team. Yeah. Certainly. So Somebody's going to be left without a chair at the end of this. If Kansas State didn't blow that lead, all nine, all, all nine Big 12 teams would be in my field today. Other than Oklahoma State, who can't be. Kansas State but is like, like not out of it. Between, you know, either West Virginia, Iowa State, Oklahoma, or TCUs, somebody's going to look up and be six and twelve and be the best team in the NIT. And TCU has literally no margin for error. They played a soft non-con, except you know they they do get LSU this weekend as part of the Big Twelve SEC Challenge. But I wanted to highlight. Their last five games, which is as murderer's row as you could ever draw up, uh, which 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 cuts both ways for, for a team in the Big 12 that's probably going to have enough quad ones and all that and, and and no bad losses. This is probably a curse, not a blessing, uh, but there's certainly plenty of opportunity with at at Texas, home Texas Tech, home Kansas, at Kansas and at West Virginia. I mean, what what a closing stretch that is. I mean, that's that's going to make or break them right there, no matter how well they do um, until that February 23rd is when that stretch starts. Well, the challenge, uh, right, is like we we've joked about the you know you just you gotta ha- you gotta hit the, the benchmarks. You gotta you know be not you can't be seven and eleven in the league. You can't be 16 and 15 overall like if even if your metrics say you're good like you need to be you need to hit certain numbers right and if your team at tcu like you're just trying to find a way that, and playing that's why like i endorse fully them playing a lighter non-con because right like you need you need to run up 11 wins the same thing like, they have to find eight conference wins can they have, can they get five more on their schedule with Texas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State, Iowa State, West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Kansas still to come to their gym. Because they have two road wins already. So if they can get five more road, five more, five more wins, they're going to dance. At 19 11, they're going to dance. Yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure we could find a similar stretch there for, for all, Every Big 12 all the teams in the Big 12, but uh, that's just crazy. I, I watched some of the Texas. Oklahoma State game from, from oh, Saturday. Awful. Christian Bishop really hurt my feeling. He stinks. I mean, he was so good at Creighton. He stinks now. I mean, he, like, traveled on a post-up. I mean, that's not his game. You know, he shouldn't be getting post-touches. You know, he, he's a rim roller and a versatile defender. But, you know, on paper, he was going to fit this team perfectly. You, know, you have all these ball-dominant guys and, like, a center who d- doesn't need the ball and can do the dirty work. Uh, but outside of... I mean, Timmy Allen's done a good job getting his own shot, but everything else um, just still looks very disjointed. You know, Texas still has great, great metrics. I still think that they're going to make the tournament, but uh, really, really looking ugly still. Yeah, no, it's just not pretty. I think there's not a lot of buy-in. I think they have a lot of guys who are trying to figure out where they stand in their offense, in the offense, and it's just not. It's not an easy thing to navigate. I will say this. 
was perusing the uh, the futures for for national championship odds, and I don't love any of these long shots, but like if if I'm taking one, Texas Tech at at forty to one over at Bovada, forty to one feels a little uh, feels feels enticing to me. They seem seem to play better without their best players, so I guess it depends. <laughs> If uh, Terrence Shan's in the lineup or not. They're scrappy. I'm wa- I'm watching as we uh, podcast here. Is you see Hall's down 38 to 19 right now? I did. It's going to be a great time artifact when Seton Hall comes back and wins this game. And yeah. uh, everyone's like, oh, geez. Here's Kevin and Brad talking about how Seton Hall sucks. But, you know. Yeah, I'm... I'm I'm still on the C and L bandwagon. I still think that they'll end up in the top twenty-five. I know that's what you said too on on your serious show, but right. Noah Bryce Aiken, they're really Brad, you're consuming a lot of my content these days. I know. I read an article and and I listened to the podcast. It was funny because I, I listened to that one and then I listened to the CBS one this morning, and uh, Matt Matt Norlander was like, you know, I think after a couple more losses, you might see Louisville fans turning on Chris Mack. And then really? Sam Sam Vecini was was on the podcast. He said, "No, search, search Chris Mack's name on Twitter. They're they're all gone, man. They're all gone." But no, I mean, without Bryce Aiken, I you know, in, in their win against St. John's on Saturday, Kadari Richmond was three and nineteen from the field. Ugh. Talk about another disappointing point guard transfer. Oof. Not pretty. Should we move to another game that was not pretty that I watched most of? Sure. Boise State and San Diego State. Oh my God. There was there was not a lot of scoring in this one. <laughs> there are there are a lot of quote unquote rock fights. Forty two thirty seven is the rock fight of all rock fights. You know, Rostin keep, keeps on bringing up how like Boise State's like incredible with that with. Tyson Degenhart in the lineup. I don't know what I was expecting, but he's just like a glue guy, power forward. No, no, he he he's he's a good. Uh, I mean, for a freshman, he's good. Yeah. His uh his his Ken Palm comps are fun. Maryland Justin Jackson, Solomon Hill. Whoa. Jared Schwopshear, Northwestern legend. Uh, Caleb Loner. And Juwan Morgan. Those are some good comps. They are. No, I mean, he's, he's a good player. He had 14 against San Diego State. He yeah. had 19 early in San Diego. Like he's he's a glue guy. He he had like a good stretch where he had double digits in like eight or nine straight games. Like he's like a for a freshman. Sign yeah, me up. And the boys, he's really stripping it down to their main dudes, right? You got Schaefer at the point. You got a bigger lineup in there with Emmanuel Acott and Abu Kijab. Then you got Degenhart and Armis. Then you bring They're in the coach's son off the bench a little bit. I think one other guy. and Najee Smith, just, yeah. yeah. They're just monsters, right? Like, it's Degenhart's 6'7 and athletic. Acott's a beast athletically. He's a five-star recruit. Abu Kijab, we've talked about his athleticism for, you know, five years. He's a great player. He's a really good player. Armoush is the uh, kind of a 6'10, 240. 
bruiser. Bruiser. But he, I mean, he's a very good player. He can handle the ball a little bit. He can pass like out on the perimeter. Najee Smith, 6'7", athletic. Like, they've got a really nice little rotation of seven uh, to, to cycle through. And, and Shaver has just been clutch. He hit the big shot against San Diego State. He hit the big shot against Utah State. He, how about this? He started 0 for, 0 for 10, I believe, against Utah State and then made his 11th shot in one of the games. Like, there's just a belief right now with this team. And, like, I think they're really good. I think the concern right now is their resume is probably fourth best of the Mountain West teams. Could argue even fifth best. Probably fourth. Probably Who's this fifth? Fresno State? Fresno. But Boise, with the home loss to Cal Bakersfield, the road loss at UC Irvine, like, they're going to have to put up a number in conference play. But the thing is they already have road San Diego state road, Utah state and road Nevada. Although Nevada's not Asian. They have a road Washington state, which is good. They have Fresno at home, which is good. Like they, they've done a lot of work recently. And you know, if they can, they, their next three games, they have Wyoming, Fres Wyoming home, Fresno road, Wyoming road. If they can win two out of three, then the at-large really kind of kicks into gear. I'm not sure about Fresno State. I mean, they're a they, no, they no, one, I don't think they're one a, great an player. They're the not an NCAA tournament team. Yeah. Uh, but you, you imagine in the preseason, if I told you that the top five of the conference would include Fresno and Wyoming and would not include Utah State and Nevada. I mean, Utah State wouldn't surprise me. Nevada would surprise me. You you thought coming in that there was a chance that Fresno State or Wyoming would be better than Utah State? I mean, I wouldn't have picked it, but I wouldn't have been. Forward. I didn't even have a depth chart for Wyoming. Utah That's State's how... not very like Utah State was always kind of rebuildy, and they're not bad. Like they're fine. Oh, Wyoming I didn't have them as, as, as I didn't have Utah State in my preseason top one hundred, but right. That's what I'm I didn't have a depth chart for Wyoming, so. I mean, Jeff Linder deserves a world of credit because they lost uh, Marcus Williams. And to be in the spot where they're in right now with, with Graham E.K. and Hunter Monlato and the shooting they surround those two guys with, like, like Linder, Linder is an elite, elite coach. Like, he had Northern Colorado as a top 75 Ken Palm team. He is an elite coach. Great and, and offensive you know, mind. Both those guys have, have weird games. Like, Maldonado is like this enormous ball handling guard who doesn't shoot it. EK just like dribbles in the post ups. Um and 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 they're both EK balling is a out monster. Yeah. EK is a beast. And then Leon Rice deserves a ton of credit. Absolutely. I mean Boise's a tough job and he consistently Builds tournament caliber teams, you know, whether it's Derek Marks and Anthony Drimmick or Chandler Hutchinson and Nick Duncan. And now we got another team bubbling up with NCAA tournament hopeful aspirations. So, And people don't realize that that job, like, is not as well resourced as the rest of the league. Like, they're not a top. That's not a top five job in the Mountain West. Like people think of the football brand, that's not a top five job in the league. Leon does an outstanding job. 
kind of as, as an aside, it's going to be really interesting. I, I guess this is in two years. You, you would know better than I would. Um, but how the new Big 12 teams look. In the SEC. Like, oh, in the Big 12, yeah. Yeah, like is Central Florida going to look like a DePaul Big East, or are they going to look like a Creighton Big East? Yeah. I'm not overly optimistic in the UCF program, basketball-wise. But that? I think if you had the right guy, like I don't think Dawkins is the guy to energize a place. But I think if you found, if you found the right coach, who I mean, could they're be not like even a, out of it for this year. They've been playing no, no. fire, but but I'm know, talking like, could, uh, yeah. but they're old. Like they're old right now. Like they're to be in the Big Twelve. Like I think you need like someone who can energize. It's similar to the way that they energized in football, right? Like, and it's always going to be a football school, but like. Look at all these energizers. Like, again, you're not going to get Bruce Pearl or Nate Oates, right? But, like, you know, they need someone like a Bruce Pearl or a Nate Oates or a, um, you know, Rick Barnes even has energized Tennessee and, and reinvigorated. Mark Adams and Chris Beard did at Texas Tech, right? Like, you need someone whose mentality is to go build. Chris Mack, he's exuding a ton of energy. These days. Oh, my God. <laughs> Hey, if Chris Mack wants Northwestern, you can have it. As as the as the athletic director at Northwestern University, I'm very qualified to comment on these <laughs> matters. You want to talk some some Penny Hardaway too? Is that- yeah, we should mention this. I don't think he's going to get fired after this year. I think he might just say screw him out. I'm leaving. Cut. I just I have no idea what happens. Yeah. Like I I have no feel. Really, I mean, I mean, it, it may come down these these issues might come down to like the the roster hierarchy that we were talking about because you know the previous years they always played super hard, um, right. they, they were always great defensively, but I think the hierarchy was a little more clear. This year, I mean, at the start of the year, he's trying to play eleven guys in a rotation. You have guys like Landers Nolly who have scored double figures on multiple. High major teams now coming off the bench in games. You know, mixing those guys with these freshman talent, it, it was really combustible. I think that maybe the mix could have been okay if, like, you didn't have, like, an Earl Timberlake needing minutes or uh, Malcolm Dandridge needing minutes or the point guard conundrum that they have. It's funny, whenever any Memphis analyst writer type comes on, the first thing they always talk about is how. Alex Lomax sucks. It is very it funny. Is it sucks. Very it must suck for him. Yeah. It must suck for him. Like every single person, just like you suck. And they're like, well, last year when he was hurt is when Memphis turned it around, and he comes back this year and they suck again. <laughs> it's very specific, but I guess I guess if you watch every Memphis game, you know that Alex Lomax so, is not the answer. But I, I will I I will I will say this on Memphis. I think the thing that frustrates me the most is Penny Hardaway. Is the lack of accountability. Nothing is ever Penny Hardaway's fault. Right? Early in the season, right? Like when when, when they lose their four-game losing streak. What was the narrative? Oh, man. You know, I've got these old guys. They won't buy in. These freshmen and sophomores, they're locked in. But our old guys, they don't want to fight. They don't want to be here. They're worried about themselves. They're selfish. And... 
I'm pissed off, and you know that's the reason we're not good, right? If only our old guys would buy in. Well, then your old guys all get hurt, or they have COVID or whatever, and you come out and you play with a young team, and you stink. And then you go in the press conference, and you have the audacity to sit down and say, "Oh well, you guys, you guys don't." You know, you guys don't fucking understand me. Don't ask me these fucking stupid questions. Because they're they're a bunch of old that SMU teams are an old team. And we're stuck playing our young guys. Well, which one is it, Penny? Which one is it? I mean, I can I can relate because nothing's ever my fault either. Uh, so I know exactly what uh just, just, Penny's just, dealing with. Just take but, your accountability. Like it's like it's it's so frustrating to listen and and, and you know oh you know like you guys you, know, you like we're too young we're too old you know we don't have this we don't have that you know we're we're super close oh you know these people won't do this to me right like come on you have everything you could possibly need everything you could possibly need you know who will really bail you out, Kevin? Who? Mike Anderson. Because you remember what? in the preseason when when you were going back and forth with the Seton Hall beat beat writer because he didn't have Memphis in his top twenty-five. Yeah. He yeah. would have that on you, except he had St. John's in his top twenty-five, which was even worse than Memphis. That's true. Do you remember that? I do remember that. He was so close, but. See what St. John's is doing now. I mean, I I I I just got a text from our friend Tristan Freeman. Down to ten at halftime. He says, "All right, St. John's is being stupid again." So <laughs> this is gonna be a nice like live artifact of a disaster. Because you know, so far in the Big East, those seven tournament teams so far have only lost one game against the bottom, and that was Seton Hall, inexplicably losing, giving up 96 points to DePaul. Really can't have Seton Hall beat the second team. You know, like if every team takes care of their business, those seven teams could all be between like 14 and 6 and 12 and 8, and I'll be like seven seeds are better. Uh, but you can't do this stupid Seton Hall stuff. And now Butler's healthy. Butler's going to beat somebody. DePaul's really feisty. DePaul's very I figure Georgetown's going to win eventually. DePaul, DePaul's ladoing, though. I like Stubbs. They play really hard. DePaul's, DePaul's ladoing. There have been some 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 blown leads here. It's very very Lado, yeah. very Chris Collins. But it's year one. Let's let him get some guys. There there's still too much Lado stink on the program. There's too many Lado guys around. You know. You know we like say this every year. It seems like it, but you know DePaul's one or two transfers away in the offseason from being pretty good, right? If you have David Jones, Ungenda, yeah. c- couple transfers, maybe you get, get Yor and I to come back for another year. Yor and I maybe that, that uh, monstrous Grant, Grant lineup they're healthy, playing. Yeah. In. They're playing that monstrous lineup with Z- against Xavier with Yor and I and Nick Ungenda playing the four and the five. It was a wild watch. Nothing better than than the the, the big lineup. It feels anecdotally that more teams are playing big this year. Do you feel that? So. Maybe. I don't. I don't pay attention enough to have a feel. I have absolutely no. No proof, but but like in the Big East especially, 
you know, te- teams that are going too big. It's pretty much everyone except for St. John's. And St. John's might be going to that with Aaron Wheeler playing so well. I think he started today. Like, Creighton's playing with, like, three bigs to start. Marquette's starting with three bigs. Uh, Georgetown's small. Butler, two bigs. DePaul, Providence. UConn. They're all two bigs. It's crazy. That is weird. Did, uh... Do you have any insight as to why Shaka goes with Maxence Prosper on the wing to start? I do not. I didn't ask Shaka about it. I asked Shaka about Justin Lewis, and he said something not all that helpful. Well, I mean, Justin Lewis is not going to be a Marquette Golden Eagle for very long, it seems like. He, I he, still don't think he's an NBA player yet. I think he needs another year. Do I like him as a small ball five. He, but he's not. Like He's playing the wing. He, he's he's he avoids contact, and he can't like he's not a consistent enough shooter, and he loves no player in college basketball loves the true dribble pull up more than Justin Lewis. <laughs> oh baby, you know why why take the in rhythm catch and shoot three when you can up fake take two dribbles and take the contested eighteen footer. I I was watching a lot of that that uh, Villanova game and he. Had, Amazing closing stretch where he oh, had like a quick no, he, rip through on playing, the wing, two dribbles and p- powered up at the rim. And he hit that three. He's playing the best three games of his career, like his last three. He's been awesome, but he still loves the two dribble block. Loves it. And I mean, Marquette obviously doesn't play many at the five, but I think with with, with that spacing, with his strength, and he's he's pretty good moving laterally. At least on the offensive end, like when he puts the ball on the floor, he has solid quickness. I I think his future is as like a kind of a junk small ball five, like a Grant Williams or something. But I mean, Grant Grant Williams is playing the four now and just shooting the lights out, so maybe that's his 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 future. But it seems like Marquette most of the time has Elliott or Jones in there now as, as shooters alongside the the two ball handlers and Kolek and Marcel. And then Lewis, and then one of the bigs. So it's just kind of to to start that like go an extra big. So. Yes, very true. Um, anything else? See, so, yeah, I'll just sort of rattle through my brain here. Um, Kalkbrenner's a beast now for Creighton. Trey Alexander's coming along. He he's the backup point guard now with Sharif Mitchell out for the year. He has a nice drive to the rim in the the ball game. Um, Obiagu had a monster game against St. John's on Saturday. He had like seven blocks. He, he's just dominating the paint there. Um, i trying to think what, what other games I watched. There wasn't a ton on Saturday night. Just that UNC game was at eight. and that College football. Boise State was at 930. Or NFL football, not college. Well, I'm an NFL idiot. Football. That's that's why Sunday was late. Oh, 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 Oregon. I haven't seen Oregon since they beat UCLA. Um, but that is one team I would not want to face right now. They are Oof. scorching hot. And at, at at one point they were up by like 30 or 40 against Washington. Washington is 
a carcass at this point, but still. Above 500 in the Pac-12. They're making their push. Washington? Yeah. Yeah, making their push. I tweeted this earlier. The WCC, like, Gonzaga's played three teams in the WCC higher rated than a team any team Arizona's played in the Pac-12. Like, that's absurd. Half the Mountain West is higher than half the Pac-12. Mountain West is up to the seventh best league in, in the uh, in a T rank at least. Just uh, before we leave, too, I wanted to mention a recruiting article by Rob Cassidy, which was, "What are some of the lies that coaches tell?" And he asked a couple of prospects from Hoopal, which was a tournament last weekend in Springfield, um, and they're there were some like really, I thought great answers that it really, really reinforces my belief in these kids and in the, in them not falling for some of the crap that a coach gave. I I remember I, I asked a recruiting question when when Corey Evans would do his. Remember he did like Wednesday mornings. Oh, I remember the just, mailbag Twitter Tuesday, it, baby. And I asked like, would you ever correct a if he, in an interview he was saying something that that, that, that like wasn't true about a team, yeah. and obviously I, I got no response to that. Um, but then it, it made me feel good because Cameron Cohen, who is headed to Florida State, he's a top 150 Very recruit, wrong. stretch five, uh, and wrong. he said the lie that 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 he hears the most is you fit our style of play, and and the explanation was. For me, it was honestly just about play style. Obviously, I'm not a traditional big guy. I can shoot the ball and stretch the floor. They tell you that's how they use guys like me. Then you turn on the TV and watch them, and it doesn't correlate at all. It was just stuff like that. So that kind of reinforces the, you know, Corey Evans doesn't need to correct these guys. These guys can, can see through that. You know, when they say, yeah, we, we have a stretch five, and then the big takes like zero jump shots the whole season. Um, and then I thought a, a, another funny one was Chris Bunch, who said that the lie was, well. "I'll I'll definitely be here next year." Uh, the, you know, the coach saying that, uh, which are recruited uh, by Jim Beheim. Right. Uh, my friend, the Syracuse correspondent, uh, Patrick Wong, was saying that I guess on the message boards they were saying that he, he was directly referring to, to Mike Hopkins there, or I guess he was going to go to Washington. That is very funny. And then he was like, "Wait, you're you're gonna get fired." But then he ends up committing to the yeah. the the oldest coach on the planet. No, notori- uh, notoriously uh, stable. I, well, I mean, yeah, he's he's been there for 45 years, so I guess that is pretty stable. But I, I, I'm gonna see Bayheim sitting bunched down and be like, "Listen, I I leave when I say I leave. They're not telling me when I leave, and I'm not leaving next year." And uh, Chris Bunch is be like, "All right, I'm in." <laughs> But I mean, if Chris Bunch stayed for all four years, Beheim would be like in his mid 80s. <laughs> so I think Beheim's going to die on the basketball court. Like, there's no other yeah. alternative, right? Absolutely. And and I re retweeted that article earlier tonight, so I had it for this. Wow, um, good guy, good man. It was it was a good read. Another one I liked was uh, Chance Westry was saying the lie was you're a great fit here, which. That really rang true to me because people throw around fit just like so. Right. 
like foster lawyer to Davidson is a good fit. Right. Every, you know, w- whenever someone says fit, there's never an explanation as to why it's a fit. It's just kind of like this vague, just kind of, you know, everyone's supposed to understand and kind of nod along. Like, yeah, that's right. He is a great fit. Um, which which kind of reminds me with the uh, TV shows, like whenever people don't don't like something, they're like, yeah, that was bad writing. But they never give an example of why it was bad writing. They never give an example of the 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 the, the dialogue or the storyline that they didn't like. They're like, yeah, that show, the writing sucks. Never give an example, whether there's bad writing or not. But what what are you watching these days, Brad? That's how we have to wrap up a good. What am I watching? Yeah, seven seven weeks to go to selection. What what TV are you watching? Because I'm I finished I'm, Ozark last night. I well I've been so. I started Ozark when I had COVID. And so I was just, I, I, I was on, I watched season three, episode nine last night. So I, I, at the timing was almost perfect to be you know caught up to get it going. So big Ozark I, guy. I love Ozark. I, I really like Ozark good. more than Breaking Bad, which is a hot take, but. I like Ozark because it's basically, I love power too. And Ozark and power are, somewhat similar except they're just based in completely different worlds like the the idea of it is the same it's just like completely different execution i think that they're cast by the same person because i know um yeah. well and the guy for, yeah the guy who played tommy in power is frank cosgrove jr right yeah are you watching all those spinoffs of power i've watched i watch a uh, book two but not book three how about book two book is four? the one about which one is book four Tommy's or yeah I think so I haven't seen it so I I haven't seen any of Power but I I I think right, I saw a trailer yeah. for Power book four with I would ben I would Apple. watch a Tommy spinoff I would watch Tommy spinoff but uh, and, it's and a then good, I'm watching good show I'm watching Colony mm-hmm. which is an old uh, USA show from like four four years ago that's on Netflix which I really like. Uh, on, on season two of that, it's hard to it's hard to power through the television right now, especially like feel doing feel the sixty eight stuff at night and games. Like I need I don't have time to just sit back and have a you know have a beer, have a glass of wine, and uh, watch TV. It sucks. That's what I'm gonna do after this though. So once Texas, Texas I think Kansas Friday ends, once Dave Johnson. Well, yeah, but I've been doing feel the sixty eight on a lot of Fridays. Stuff. Oh well. I hope that you, hope that you were dressed appropriately for this podcast. Oh my gosh, I'm I hate to break it, I'm wearing a hoodie and uh, hoodie and sweatpants and ripped socks. But I'm wearing sweatpants, a Providence t-shirt, and a blanket over it. Wow, what a guy! <laughs> High tech operation. So, but now we appreciate you all listening. We appreciate all uh all the support, even for our outfits. Um. It's been fun, man. Uh, we've got a lot to get to in the next six, seven weeks before Celeste Sunday. Check out my Bracketology at Sports Illustrated. Um, that's coming up soon. Uh, that's exciting. And uh, Should, I, should I waste my last click on, on uh, your Bracketology? Mm-hmm. Use another device. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well. All right, folks. We will see you all next week.